Okay, we're reading from Matthew chapter 16. Before you get there, in this particular lesson, we've been talking about breaking ground. But we're also discussing a groundbreaking in other in other ways, not just in the physical turning of a soil. When you break ground, it's an indication that you want to do something there that was not done heretofore. Therefore, it's incumbent upon you to survey. Jesus said, what kind of person is it that starts a project, doesn't finish it, doesn't have the plan to finish? Um, this is not a well-planned individual. So Jesus was submitting that whatever you do, whatever you set your heart to do, finish it, complete it. And so these concepts of, of, of breaking something, it means that you're going to change something in your life or begin something brand new. This is a difficult thing for people. And it's difficult for me. I'm a creature of habit. And so I have to build in new habits. Now, in my study, uh, that you can, you might have a different school of thought, but in my study and in my life, it takes about 40 days of consistency for me to begin a habit. And then I have to repeat that multiple times. So, uh, a habit's not formed in just a day or two, but at least for me and in in my study, uh, it looks like other people create habits also after a period of time. It is the repetitive motion of an intentional action that creates, and I hope, a healthy habit. It is the repetitive motion of an intentional action that creates so as I go through my lesson tonight, you're going to hear these remnants, traces of things that, that I call disciplines. When we hear of disciplines or someone is a disciplined uh, parent, we automatically think about a correction. But a discipline is really a boundary, a function, something that is done uh, as a, as once again, that's that intentional action, that repetitive action, a discipline. And those are, have to be self-imposed. Um, if you're <clears throat> relatively new or if you're watching, um, the, the, the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines that many people have in this house are not dictated by this pulpit, but they're desired by the individual. Now, they may be taught and they may be promoted, but the spiritual disciplines, uh, while they all come from the Scripture, have to be adopted by the individual. It's not a corporate setting. There's not corporate demands. So if we are to be a spiritual church, we don't legislate spirituality. Every one of us have to have a walk with God. And then we become a spiritual body. And so um, I think you can legislate many things, but you cannot legislate people to be spiritual. I have to have a walk with the Lord. And and anyone who has parented anyone, if you have children, then you can understand. You know, you can't, there's some things you just can't force, but you do have to example. And uh, hopefully that they take the, the clue. So we're breaking something here, and the self-perception is, is a vital key to our, I'm giving you things that are not written in your handout. It's a vital key to longev to your longevity of your Christian walk with God. Because if you have a poor self-perception, or if it's incorrect, it will thwart your consistent walk with God. Okay, we'll get into it. I feel like you're agreeable in heart. That's, that's the only indication, it's just my feeling. Okay. Matthew 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he's asking his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? This is an interesting query. Because the Lord, I think, the Lord is not necessarily interested in, 
in his fame or in the commentary of people. He knows who he is. His disciples are going to say, and this is from various disciples. Well, some people say, you're John the Baptist. Some, Elias. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah. Here is the point of his questioning. But whom say ye that I am? Or who do you think that I am? And now Peter answers. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is what Jesus answered and said to him. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father, which is in heaven, he revealed it to you. And I say unto you, thou art Peter, pebble, and upon this rock, not you, but now it's turned. Jesus is the rock. I'll build my church. The church was not birthed upon Peter. Stone, small stone. But upon this rock. Jesus now referring to himself. The gates of hell should not prevail against it. Let's just dissect it real quick. The gates of hell. The gates of hell are, is not, the gates of hell are not an offensive measure. It's the government. If you, if, if, if you travel with Israel, I've been there many times, and I've told the story about how we've gone to a city and the gates are there. And these big old stone gates, you walk through these gates and there's little coves where magistrates and governors and, and the rulers and the council would sit. That the gates held the government of the city. The gates of hell is the government of hell, the highest power of hell. The gates of hell was not an offensive measure. It's the government of hell. So these are references that they knew. And Jesus said, the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys, Peter, to the kingdom of heaven. Now, Peter has no idea what what really those keys are. He's going to discover them in Acts chapter 2. And he'll begin to preach the keys to the kingdom. But he also says, Jesus also says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. This is spiritual authority. He charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus, the Christ, or in, in a more clear form for us, the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. This is something that the Jews were looking for, especially the Pharisees and the council of Nicaea, um, council of, of uh, the Sanhedrin council, rather. They were looking for the Messiah. Surely they would not accept Jesus as the Messiah. So this was not the time that the Lord wanted to be known. So just don't tell anyone, but this is the revelation. Now I bring that to pass because something happened in this uh, exchange. And I I would like to say that it's important for us to recognize ourselves, to have the right self-perception. But no one can have the right perception of themselves until they identify who God is in their life. It doesn't start with me. It starts with him. It doesn't start with me looking in a mirror or having someone tell me who I am. It starts with me recognizing Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. When I recognize him and I, and I put him, this is a, you know, how can anyone handle God? He allows us to do this. But when I put him in his proper place in my mind, in my life, when I recognize him, he recognizes me. Who do you say that I am? Thou art Christ. Yes, and you're Peter. Who do you say that I am? You are the Lord of all. Yes, and you are my child. Boom. Just immediately that way, the Lord needs to tell you who you are. People cannot tell you. But you're never going to know unless you recognize him as the Lord and Savior. And when you do, something begins to change. Things fall off. The things, commentaries, definitions that have been put on you are now disbanded because you've recognized the Lord. When you recognize him as the king, what you've just done is you're saying you're my king. Guess what you are? You just entered into a monarchy. (laughs) Because now you're not part of of, uh, a, a temporal world with temporal laws. So these are critical things. And I, I think that as Pentecostals, as, 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 as this, 
this movement that that's happened sometimes we we bypass these or we 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 pass these very important uh fundamental and foundational truths because we're leaping forward to try to find some other revelation the greatest revelation that we'll ever find and ever know is that Jesus is Lord of all. He is the God of heaven and earth. That Jesus said, I am that I am. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. So when you recognize that he is it, there's no other than him. The one and only. (laughs) Then you get to recognize yourself because he'll tell you who you are. Okay, we're going through this pretty carefully. Because... Identity is what we're talking about because my perception of myself comes from the identity that's been put on me. Um, There's a couple issues with this. And the first issue that I have found through the course of life is a misplaced recognition of our creator. Because we didn't trust God. Here's what the Bible says. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And... More than ever before, people are changing their physical appearance because they don't believe that they are physically and wonderfully made. This is true. This is, this is very, very true. And there's a lot of 13, 14 year old girls, um, uh, having, uh, nose jobs and facial changes, uh, for their birthdays. Um, and what's happening is that we're distorting the, the natural look. You, you know, you, if the young men grow up and they marry this beautiful girl and the kids turn out to be really, really ugly. I shouldn't have said that. But, but the problem is that's not what that, that's not what your bride actually looked like. She, she had a lot of changes. And so where do these, where do these terribly looking kids come from? <laughs> You can, obviously, you know that Sister Tammy is not in the building tonight, so there's no one to stop me. <laughs> she might be watching online. Uh-oh, okay. So that we have a mis, this is the, here's the whole recognition problem. We have a, we have an issue with our creator, and that's the basis of all issues of identity and perception. Because we don't really believe that we're worth something unless we mimic what our society says is worthy. So we have to be very careful with this. And so th- this is nothing new. This has been going on for a long, long time in all kinds of dispensations and eras and countries and languages. But I want us to get back to re- realizing this is how the Lord made me and I'm made for the kingdom and I'm made for the purpose and I'm sent here at this time in this era for such a time as this. As Mordecai so told his niece and said to Esther, you were brought to the kingdom for this moment in time. We could have been born in 1800s. We could have been born in 17 or the dark ages, any time. But the Lord made you the way you are for this moment now. And you've got to say, I am here with this personality, with this mindset, with this body to glorify God and recognize the creator. Otherwise... You're going to live to please other people. And you're going to live to try to, to try to measure up to the perception of others. As one person said, I'm not who I think I am. I am who I think you want me to be. It's a dangerous thing. I want to please God. Shall we please men or shall we please God? So the, the first issue is, is between me and the Lord. It's not with me and anyone else. That's the first issue. The second issue is a misplaced purpose of the creation. What is my purpose on earth? So when you misplace your purpose of who you are and what you're supposed to be, then you open the door to a myriad of of issues because we don't know what the purpose of the creation is. The purpose of the creation is to praise the Lord, is to have communion with God. And so when you devalue the creation... Well, what's the end of the devaluing of creation? We see it in two forms. And no, this is not political. We see it in two forms. Suicide and abortion is the end of a misplaced value of the creation. 
that is not a, that is not a blob of cells that can be tossed away. And your life has worth. And when you misplace creation and the value of it, then this is what's happened. Then you have people who don't mind if they are depressed taking their own life. That's the end of the road of evolution. That's the end of the road of a society that's bent on mass consciousness that does not really believe that there's a God. So we have to understand we have a purpose in this world to praise the Lord, to, to give God glory, to give God praise, to be obedient, to build the kingdom, to reach the lost. You have, as a church, you have a purpose, and if you don't fulfill your purpose, you're always going to be, you're always going to have trouble with your identity. <laughs> Amen. I'm feeling good. Just, I'll, I'll give you like a, every few minutes, just let you know what, how I'm feeling. Just, I don't know if you feel, if, you, if you're interested. Um, number three. The other issue is societal influences and traditions and then humanism. I kind of glump, uh, clump them together, although they are distinctive in their own way. Because every society has a... Uh, they have what they would think is, is, um, is the definition of a whole person or someone who has it all together. Most of the time, it's very superficial. It's a very superficial thing. Even if it's intellectualism, it's very super, superficial. And people today are very, very superficial. They, they, we make judgments and cast dispersions and judgments about people, whether good or bad. They must be a wonderful person. Why? Well, because, because you know, look how nice their, their yard is, their car, their clothes, whatever. You know, we, 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 make, we make judgments about people Character judgments about people based upon an outward appearance. It's very, very dangerous for us to do that. And it distorts the identity. And of course, then we have our own perception because now our self-perception is lower or maybe superficially higher based upon the comparison of someone else. Are you still with me? Maybe I should slow down. It is dangerous to judge someone about their goodness or their ineptness based upon what you see. And then to compare yourself with them. The Bible says it's not wise to compare yourselves among yourselves. And when you start to do that, then you're going to struggle with your identity. Who am I? Well, I'm going to measure up to someone else because I think they've got it together. Chances are they don't have it together. You'd be surprised how many people don't have it together. Don't raise your hand. You can point, I guess, if you, if you need to do that. Then there are these traditions, and the traditions often cause issues because traditions are not always godly traditions. They don't always lead us. And so America today, and I can't speak for other nations, but America has some, some very troubling traditions that, that have stripped people of, of their their identity and what they should be. <laughs> oh man. And this is a this is dangerous ground because once again, you know, our society is really we really have this idea um, of what of what a man and a woman ought to be. And now we're all striving to keep pace with someone else. I can just let me just talk about dinner. I hope you had dinner so I won't make you hungry but dinner dinner time in many many countries is is a gathering it's a gathering it's a family gathering in most places in the world there's a preparation time in fact i was talking to some people from another country and and the guys are all standing around they said yes our wives and mothers will not let us in the kitchen at all we have to wait out here until they're done and we have jobs to do but we don't we don't we're not allowed in there and when it's done, then we all sit down. And this is a it's, a, it's a tradition. Our tradition is a solo, red solo cup. Our tradition is a drive-through. It's a fast pace. Let's get in and out. Hey, we're not going to have conversation. I often teach this about the table. I learned what a functional marriage looks like when we sat at the table. I learned conversation when I sat at the table. 
when you remove those traditions, and now the tradition is, hey, let's do this. We're, you know, we're going to order, uh, let's order some food, okay? We're going to order the food. Are you going to go get it? No, we're going to call, we're going to text DoorDash. They're going to deliver our food. Why? You know, the restaurant's three, three blocks. Why get out of the car? So now all of this is now convenience has stripped us from understanding our identity. And now we have a perception that's, that's unrealistic, untrue. This is not real. Self-perception is often, is often crafted by what we see also in media. This is not true. These, are, these people that you see in media, these are not real people. These are, these are, these are, uh, these are, I have to be careful here. There's a lot of Botox going on here. I, I, I was, you know, what, two years ago, a year and a half ago, walking around and have the mask on, you know, got into the place and, you know, trying to smile, you know, it doesn't come across. I'm smiling and I tried to, you know, squint with my eyes and I said to the lady, I said, I looked at her, she was much older and I said, you know, uh, have you learned how to smile with your eyes? And she looked at my gray hair and she said, you know, sir, when we get our age, it's a lot easier. I was frowning at her under my mask. It was offensive. <laughs> and so and we, have, we have these perception problems because in this, in this environment, it's a superficial environment. It's a lie. This is a lie. And then you have, and of course you have humanism. And humanism is that it's all about us. And now we have totally forgotten. Our identity with Jesus Christ. We're not finding our identity in the cross of Calvary, which is the which is the place of self-sacrifice. Rush, let's get through this. Let's go. We, it, well, is that good for me? Is it not good for me? People attend churches by what they can get out of it. They're looking, they're looking for something that they can they can get something out of instead of giving something to. I I love what. One of the elders said during a wedding, he said, in your marriage, you can either be the host or the guest. <laughs> if, if, if you're the guest, then you're always going to want to be served. If you're the host, then you're always the one welcoming. And I think that's what we need to be in this house. We always need to be the host. Um, the answer is important, who do men say that I am, because it's a probe into the greater pursuit and revelation of Jesus Christ. But the question that Jesus asked was a leading question. It was forcing the disciples to answer it for themselves. And I just want everyone to know, you will answer that question. There's two questions you're going to have to answer. Who is the Lord to you? That's found in Matthew 16. And Acts 2.37, what must I do to be saved? Those are the two questions everyone's going to have to answer. This particular answer is going to be, it's, it's going to be pressed upon us. So whether by personal revelation or by teaching or at the very end of time, it'll be forced. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. You're going to answer it. Either by self-will or by revelation or by teaching or at the end, the whole world is going to, going to bow their knee and out of their mouth, they're going to say, Jesus is Lord. You can do it now, willingly, with a pleasant smile, with worship. Or in that day, you'll do it <laughs> under the guidance and the heavy hand of this God. So, Peter gives the answer. And he gives it by way of divine revelation. Divine revelation. Because even Jesus said, you didn't know this, but... This was given to you. It was revealed to you, Peter. So to discover yourself, you really need to discover your God. Your God. Who is your God? Because your God is going to reveal who you are. Is your God sports? Do you love the God of sports? Then he'll reveal that's what you're all about. The God of money, ambition, 
Are you the God of intellectualism? Are you the God of education? Are you a, are you a news junkie God? Are you, what, what is your God? Cause you'll serve your God and you'll do it. And I'll, 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 I'll show you how it's done. First, it's done by reflection. It reflects your life. What's in your home? What, what occupies your home? What is the visuals around you? Your God is seen. People see you. Paul said, you are an epistle read of all men. That means you are a walking textbook. You're a walking Bible. People are reading you by how you live. You reflect the Lord in your life. The Bible says of women, how they should be adorned. Paul said this, that women should be adorned with a meek and quiet spirit. That's your Bible. Does that make you mad? Does that make you angry? That's your Bible. It, it t- talks about men too, that men should lift up holy hands without anger and without skepticism, wrath and doubting. So he didn't leave anybody out because men have anger problems and they're skeptics. And he said that we, it, it feels just so incredibly tense just right now. <laughs> that women should be adorned with a meek and quiet spirit. This is in your Bible. This is Bible study, ladies and gentlemen. And the Bible is offensive to the American mind. The Bible is an affront to our thoughts. The Bible, the Bible cuts and makes divisions in us. It cuts and makes divisions in us. And whatever, whatever God that we serve is reflective in the way we live. That's how you know what your identity is and your identity is going to lead your self-perception. Who you identify with. Number two, it's your investments of material assets. The Bible says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. I can tell, I can tell you where your heart is. Where's your treasure? Where's your investment? We're talking about tangible investments. Where is it at? We know where your heart is. This is the Bible. And finally, it's time, time, time. So to accomplish a proper identity, you're going to have to measure your time. Do you have your time with God? Do you pray? Do you have prayer time with the Lord? Do you have Bible reading time with God? When was the last time you turned off everything in the home and just had peace without any external noise? Time with God. When's the last time you said, listen, I'm just going to have some quiet time with God? When was the last time you prayed and then stopped praying and just meditated on the Lord so he could speak to you? It's not, it it can't just be a one-way conversation. Time. Time is the one commodity you're never going to get back. Once it's spent, it's gone. Time. I, I remember, I, I do remember, I, I remember my youth. I, I remember childhood. It's gone. It's gone. I, I remember my teens. Gone. I remember my twenties. Anybody remember your 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 when you turned twenty? I, I remember twenty five. I remember that. My phone has a has every every day. My my phone brings up pictures of, and I if I push the button of the pictures, there's a little soundtrack of pictures of the family, the kids, and it's it's. It, even if it's a you know fast song or a slow song, I don't even pick these songs. The 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 phone does it for me and just it's kind of reminiscing. It 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 makes me sad, nostalgic. Where did my babies go? Where did my babies go? What happened there? Look at me. What? Who is that guy? Time. Whatever you spend your time on, this is how you know. What you who you are, you want to know who you are? I'll tell you who you are. It's what you reflect in your daily life. It's where your investments are, and it's where your time is spent. That tells the complete story of, of your identity, of my identity. Amen. You know, I, I've, I've walked through this um, process oh, repeatedly, and the process is is always the same. I found out through the years it took me a long time and I'm still working on it so I don't think I've accomplished it all. But I do think that 
perhaps there are no large problems. There are just accumulation of small ones. And I've also thought, I wonder how many great revelations there are. Maybe it's just the process of doing the right thing over and over that brings about the revelation. I'm not so sure that I'm convinced of the quantum leap, though there are millions of people who will buy a lottery ticket tomorrow because they do believe in the quantum leap. There are people who pray that God would give them a million dollars, and the Lord says, yes, I'm going to give you a million dollars, but I'm going to spread it out over 40 years. What did you do with your million dollars? That's not what people are talking about. I think the revelation of a proper perspective and a perception and an identity of of self, it doesn't happen in one moment. It happens over time, doing the right thing over and over and over again. And you create, by just simplistic measures of time spent with God, of investing in the kingdom, of making sure that you're reflecting the things of the Lord and you create in yourself the right perception and then people understand who you are. One of the blessings of of the apostolic church is that we have a new birth experience that's born out of the scripture in John chapter three when Jesus said, except you're born again of the water and spirit. When Ananias looked at looked at Saul, who would become Paul, and said, why tarry? Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And immediately, scales fell from his eyes, and he was baptized. This is in your Bible. When there's a transformation of a life, and in fact, it came in various forms. The, the maniac of Gadara, the Lord healed him, cast out the devils. He's now found sitting and clothed in his right mind. There is a transformation of life. It can happen being born again. That is the blessing. The downside is that we think everything else is going to happen right away. We're going, to be, we're going to be changed right away. All of our troubles, gone. All of our addictions, gone. All of our bad perception and self-perception, gone. It doesn't work like that. It's every day, every day, getting up, walking in truth, changing the way I speak every day. Employing things that may not seem like they're, like, like they're, they have great value, but putting in my mouth manners and kindness and exercising over and over. You may not have grown up that way, but if you'll institute something that is godlike, reflective of the Father, what is that? It's grace and mercy for one another. Who are, who am I that I, that I can withhold any level of forgiveness? I've got to reflect him. If I don't reflect him, I'm never going to know who I really am because I did not pay attention to my God. Get close to the cross and then you'll know how to treat other people and you'll probably figure out who you are. Steer away from the cross of Calvary and the blood and the sacrifice and you'll never have any idea who you are. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good a time, maybe. Here we go. I I don't think anyone, at least, let me just maybe add this here. I I don't remember, this could have been done, but I don't ever remember sitting in a session where our teaching, where anyone ever compared and contrasted Gideon and Solomon. They, They seem so removed. But I want to do that a little bit. I want to compare this. And... There is something to be said about the home that we grew up in. Things that were spoken in our lives, the environment of our early years. These are all conditions which do affect how we see ourselves. Um, I cannot say for sure what kind of home Gideon grew up in, but by the time we find him in the scripture, he uh, he has lived in an environment when the Midianites have come to steal uh, the harvest and how the Midianites have come to take what did not belong to them. They came at the time of harvest and they took what had been planted. And we find Gideon hiding in a wine press. He is grinding the grain. and In fact, he's taking the chaff of wheat 
Now the chaff of wheat was never grinded in an area where there was no wind. They would take it up to a threshing floor, which was a high place in a mountain where, where there was a, at least a flat stone. They take all the wheat, put it up there. They take oxen. They train the oxen, oxen to stomp the wheat, stomp it, stomp out the wheat. Then they would take that, that grain and throw it up and the chaff would blow away with the wind and the heavy grain would fall back down, fall back down. This is, a very a threshing floor, which I won't get into tonight, but it's a very critical view to see the threshing floor. The oxen that stumbled and the ark almost tipped over, they did that on the threshing floor because that's what they were trained to do. The threshing floor was Aruna's threshing floor, a high place because David said, I'm going to build my altar on that threshing floor. Um, that is where the temple was built. The threshing floor has great significance in the Bible. I, I can't, I can't, veer off there, but I just want you to know that's not where he was. He was in a wine press, which was a large enclosed, uh, not enclosed, it, had, it didn't have a top, but it had a barrel type, massive large barrel where grapes would, would be normally stomped and, and they would be pressed, but he was hiding there trying to scratch out some grain so that no one could see him. And so his bread had chaff and grain mixed in it. It was a sour and a bad taste. That is where we find him and where the angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is in your handout. And said, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. But that's not how he perceived himself. Why? Because there's multiple issues with this. There's multiple issues with this, with this man. And part of it was, and he, this is his self-declarative. I'm from the least of the tribes. He has already looked at all the 12 tribes and he's discovered his tribe is the smallest one of all. As if the lack of numbers should dictate anyone's self-perception. He is, he is living in a time of defeat because they are overrun. He has a personal self-complex about himself. In fact, his perception is, I'm the least of the least. I'm the least of my own tribe. And then, of course, he's hiding in fear. And finally, unbelief. He has unbelief in the face of the angel of spiritual. In fact, even when the angel says, you're a mighty man of valor, he's accusing the angel. Well, if God's with us, why are we going through this? This is his perception. What created his perception? Now, I cannot go back into his childhood, but I do want to just make a few statements about about our homes. It does not matter. Are you ready? It does not matter what is preached or taught from this pulpit. If you parents go to your home and you belittle your children and you crush them and you poor mouth them and you speak words over them to demean them, it won't matter what happens in this house. I don't care how much faith or miracles they see. They're going to believe what you told them. You're no good. You're never going to, you're not smart. You're not that great. If you compare your children among your children, you have damaged them. And they may never get out of that. And there are grown men today, grown men in their seniors that are still dealing with the words they heard from their fathers and their mothers. Because self-perception is not just what the Lord says, because it's hard to get past the voice of my father and my mother. I can't hardly hear God because all I hear is what my mother or my father said to me. Yes. And we want to know, well, wh- where did all this come from? Well, it came from an imposed perception I didn't have of myself. But it was given to me by somebody else. And let me just tell all the folks here, since I'm, since I'm really wading out in these waters, be very careful what you say about other people or to their face that, that are not your relatives because you really could damage them for life. You really could damage them for life. Be very careful. You don't know what they're going through and they might be holding on to your words and your word might mean the difference between them having faith that God can do something from in them. I'm speaking the word of faith over people. God's going to use you. You're a mighty man of valor. Well, you don't understand where I'm from. How can you say that? Because I'm speaking the word of faith. If we are made in his image, if we are made in his likeness, according to, according to the book of Genesis, we're made in his likeness. If that is true, 
And if he spoke the worlds into existence, then I speak my world into existence. I can speak something into your life just as I preach Sunday. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Sometimes we need to walk around and we need to not just give people compliments about their visual appearance. We need to give... We need to give people comments about what God is going to do in their life. And by faith, I say that you're going to make it. God's, you, God's going to use you in your life. You're not over. Well, I've had a rough week. You know what? The devil fights the people the most who have the most to give the kingdom of God. He is not going to let you go, but you're going to overcome. You are an overcomer. Your perception could very well hinge on the word of someone else. So when you go home. And when you're sitting at your table and you're around your family, the worst thing you could ever do is demean your own family. Do not do that. And don't come here and say, well, I don't know what's wrong with my kids. You're, you're the problem. You ask the question, you're the answer. This is harsh, is it not? Is pastor being a little harsh tonight? Yes, I am because I'm not harsh. This is the truth. And the truth of the matter is, We must grow up. We've got to grow up. It's time to put away childish things. I understand people need milk, but this class doesn't need milk. We need some ribeye, T-bone steak, roast beef. We need some brisket going on around here. We need to get deep. It's time for us to grow up and say, you know what? I'm going to guard my mouth. You're not a rabid dog. You can control yourself. Control what you say out of your mouth. Your tongue is the most unruly member of your body. You create, you destroy, all with the power of your tongue. Put your put your words in your favor, not against you. This is what Gideon was doing. He was speaking against himself. I'm no good. I come from the least. His self-perception needed to be broken, but it was a fight to break it. And the angel of the Lord had to come and say, you're a mighty man of valor. How can that be? Man, if an angel came down and told you something. Now, listen, we don't, we don't have definitive proof. But this is what the Hebrew scholars say. This is what the Hebrew scholars say. That Jesus, when he was prophesied to be born of a virgin. That the moment of Mary's conception came when she replied to the angel. Be it unto me, according to thy word. She's conceived. Perhaps, <laughs> when you reply back to the Spirit of God, something will be birthed in you right in that moment. Your perception of yourself needs to change. Don't tell me that you're not a worshiper and that's not your style. You are a worshiper. Don't tell me you're not emotional. We can bring you to a moment of your emotion. You know when you get emotional. Why don't you spend that emotion on worshiping the Lord and dancing before the Lord? Don't wait. Don't tell me that you're not engaging. You will engage. That's a lie of the devil. To perceive yourself as not being able to talk to people. That's not true. Change that self-perception. You are made to be a witness Witnessing Bible teaching is not for a select few and it's not for people with distinct personalities. Well, okay. The perception has to change. And this is the problem that Gideon was having. He was having this problem because he had developed a callous. And the callous was wrong perception. The callous around him was a, was an idea of what he was not. It was, it was ineptness. It was, I don't have that. I'm not able. Who told you that? Who told you we're not able? Who told you you could not? Surely it could be the enemy, but it probably was the environment or the people you're around. Amen. So I would just say to parents, if you want your children to be moral, be moral. If you want to have moral authority, Work on your own moral authority. If you want your kids to show you respect, show other people respect. If you want your children to love the church, say good things about the people at the church. If you want their perception of the church to be a place where there's all kinds of issues, then serve that to them 
morning, noon, and night, bake it in the oven, cut it up, and let everyone eat the same thing. But if you want them to feel like their purpose is a kingdom call and that the whole their whole life is wrapped around what God wants them to do, then you do that yourself and they will follow you. And let me just tell all the grandparents, do the same. Your influence didn't die. They didn't. Your influence didn't die. My mother gets a hold of our children and she speaks words into their ears all of the time. And she says things to them that that encourages them in the Lord so that they're pursuing what she has spoke in their life. This is what I think perception has come about. It, it is when you say something to me, I end up pursuing that. Men and women, young, young boys, young girls, they pursued the demise that was put in front of them. If you say you're not going to count for anything... That's what they think the expectation is. We're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that here. No, I have an expectation. I have an expectation that there is a mighty revival coming in this house. I don't have to scream it, but I will. And that people are going to be flooding his altars. I have an expectation that there will be miracle signs and wonders. I, I, I have to put this out. My perception is that this is a powerful move of God, a light on a hill. This, my perception of this house is that there is love and acceptance and grace of God and prodigals are going to come back and people are going to walk in this house and there's going to be great forgiveness. My perception of the body of Jesus Christ is that we are powerful and there's not one devil in hell that can withstand us and that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives and we're going to do great exploits for God. My perception of you is that you are Bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, you're forgiven and you're healed and you're restored. You're new. My thought is that you are a powerful warrior, a mighty man, a mighty woman of valor. So when you come to me and say, well, I don't know if I'm that good. I think you're great. Man, I, th- were you, were you born again of the water and spirit? You are doing awesome, Mark. Are, are, are you trying to live for God? You're striving for the mastery. You're doing great. Now, we all have issues and trouble, right? Most people. Mm-hmm. Maybe everybody. Those people who say they don't, they, 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 you know they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me just tell you about Solomon. Here's Solomon, 1 Kings. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, 30 and three years reigned in Jerusalem. Then sat Solomon upon the throne. I love this little passage. He sat on the throne of his father and his kingdom was established greatly. This scripture actually is not a forth telling scripture. It is a present period of time declaration of how he entered the throne. David already established the throne. When Solomon came into being, he entered a kingdom that was already greatly established. He's not like Gideon. He wasn't stained like Gideon. And he did not allow the past sins of his parents to dictate his future. He was trained by his father in management. He learned confidence in battle by his father. He understood how to address God. How does a man grow up? And the first prayer we hear him pray is the most profound prayer. What do you want? Ask anything. You talk about genie in a bottle. What wish do you want me to give you? I hope if you ever get one wish, you don't squander that. Right? Come on, don't don't say, I don't know. Don't say something ignorant. Don't, don't say, I, I'd like to have a new car. What, what, why did you do that? Don't, don't do that. What would you want? And Solomon had learned how to pray. He learned that from his father. Because when he got his opportunity to ask God what he wanted from God, he said, I'd like to have wisdom for the people. And the Lord said, because you didn't ask for riches or victory, or influence, I'm going to give you all of that because you asked for the right thing. How did he learn that? He did not learn that by himself. He learned that because he grew up in an atmosphere where a good perception was put on him. You are going to be the next king 
And this is our God, and we worship him. He understood how to address God. He began with an established kingdom. Yes, he expanded it incredibly much. Yes, he built the temple. But all of that was laid on the foundation of his father's repentance. He exercised his training, father's accomplishments, and God's provision for the very best possible outcome. No one ever outdid Solomon. And his perception of himself was rooted in the God of his father. Amen. This is the goal. I learned how to pray. My dad was on his knees on that chair. My mom was on her chair. And I heard them pray. I learned. I learned how to call on God. I learned how to be established. Because my parents brought that about. I learned what sacrifice was because they sacrificed. This is how I came. I'm not a first generation. I'm a second generation. But I never wanted to be a second. I wanted to be a first. So I strive to get back to the first seat. Because I know that if I live in the second seat, in the second chair, it's a dangerous place to be. Because I never want to have my children think they're in the third. You got to get back to the first. You see that woman over there? She gave up everything she could to get back, to, to get into this thing. And we're going to go back to her sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Talking about my mother. Yes. So my perception is critical. My self-perception. Now my perception was rooted in what my parents said. My mother told me when I was young that everybody loved me. She said, everybody loves you. I believed her. I was shocked to find out after a year or so of pastoring, this was not true. I wondered what was wrong with those people. Look, you calling my mother a liar? (laughs) Don't talk about my mama. (laughs) My mother said to us, everybody loves you. My mother said to me, you are a giver. I am? Yes, you are a giver. My perception was I'm a giver. I didn't know I was a giver. I probably wasn't a giver. Chances are I was a taker. But she said I was a giver, so I perceived myself to be a giver. You want your children to be worshipers? You tell them, you are a worship image. You are a prayer. You are. If you want them to be a dead, dud, nothing, backslidden individual, by the time they're 30, their kids don't even know what the truth is and never go to church, then you just let them know this is not for you. Nobody loves you. Don't ever tell your children or your grandchildren nobody loves you at the church. Don't ever tell them that. And then come and say, I don't know why no one loves my children. Because you told them that. They perceived themselves. Let's break some ground here. And we got to break ground in our own mouth. And we're not talking about the young people that are gone. I'm talking to you. You tell them this is going to be the most wonderful thing. And then you exemplify that in your life. To have joy in the house of God. And when you go through a rough time, you come into this house. And you don't act like you've gone through a rough time. You, you, you worship God because he's good. Not because of what you went through. And if you want holiness or godliness, you exemplify that in your private closets. But if you have private addictions, you have private issues, and then you tell your children they got to be holy, they're not going to believe you. And their self-perception is, it's all a lie. I'm ready to break some ground here. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. We're going to break some ground. You know what we need to be in this house, in, in this room right here? We need to be worshipers. We need to be givers. We need to be doers. We need to spend time with God. We're not rushing to get anywhere. We're rushing to get to heaven, but we're not rushing to get anywhere else. That's right. Amen. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm moving ahead. This is finally, I think I'm there. I think I'm there. The development of self-perception. I'll end in, in this. I, I got, I'm skipping some things here, but I want to develop. Personal view is developed at a young age. Now, we know this to be the fact. It can be changed. It it can be rearranged. Uh, The older you get, it's a little bit harder to change that. It is a little harder to change that. This is true. Um, Habits change. 
diet change, just biologically. Um, In a baby, fat cells do not develop until the age of two. So whatever they eat between zero and two, their cells form around that makeup. And so if the baby is fed very unhealthy food between zero and two years old, they're, they're, everyone has fat cells. We need them, but they can be, uh, they can be anemic or, or over, overly, overly fed. And so they could struggle, uh, with either way throughout the course of their life. So in those early stages of what a, a child consumes, when children are put in front of a television uh, for the duration of their young life, um, we now have definitive uh, uh, studies, def- definitive medical research that there is there is something that happens with their eyes and pupils, and 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 things don't always develop correctly. Um, sometimes uh, they have other issues as far as attention deficit disorders. It has nothing to do with hereditary diseases. It has to do with time spent in front of television sets. Um, uh, so, so there's a development of a young age. When someone comes to the Lord and they're 40 years old, they come to God, they are like a fresh, brand new baby. They're going to develop. I want them to develop and imprint on people who are on fire from God, for, for God. So if someone walks in this house and they want to know how to worship and how to act and they're sitting next to you, just know you are the one that's going to imprint on them. And so if you, if, if, if you're depressed all the time and you're, you're sour and you got a bad perception of yourself, what you've just done is you've just, you've just imprinted on the new convert that just found the Lord. This is how we're, this is how we act. We get the Holy Ghost, we're baptized, but then we're depressed the rest of our life. That's not how we're going to be, right? That's not how I am. I'm happy. I've run around the church more than anybody. I'll, you want me to run now? I'll run. I'm not feeling spirit, but I'm, you know, little exercise is not bad. We're gonna, we're gonna shout, we're gonna worship, we're gonna be, we're gonna be joyful. When it's time, we're gonna cry, cause there's a time to cry, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to rejoice, there's a time to be sober, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to war, and there's a time for peace. We're gonna have all the times. But it's not always time to be sad. It's not always time to be depressed. When you walk into the house of God, this is the day that the Lord hath made. You enter his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Now's not the time to worry. Now, now is not the time to be depressed. Now's the time to enter into his courts, his gates. That's the time. You just say it's time. You ought to go like to a ball game when they say it's, it's ball time. It's game time. It's game time. Why do they know it and we don't know it? You fix your self-perception when you recognize God. You are the great Savior. I would just submit to you that while you're worshiping and giving him thanks, he gives you the joy that you so desperately needed. My problem with myself is that I don't know who God is. When I have a self-perception problem, I've, I've, I've failed to recognize what? He is my father. If you being evil, none of you would say, oh, I'm evil. I love my children. If you being evil, Jesus said it's red letters. All you red letter people, it's red letters. As if he wrote it himself. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the heavenly father Give to you that ask. If your son, your daughter asked for a loaf of bread, would you give him a snake, a rock, a stone? No. How much more that he would give to you? He loves you more than you love your own children. Amen. So my problem with my self-perception is that I don't even know who my father is. He's got my best interest in mind. Even when I'm going through trouble, he knew I had to get through it and go through it because he knew if I could just get through it, I can make it to the next step. Amen. I feel like preaching, but I know I'm supposed to be teaching. I want to just tell somebody in here, you're going to fix your self-perception because you're going to recognize who your father is, who your daddy is. He's on your side. He's fighting for you. He died for you. He bled for you. He rose from the grave from you. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The Bible calls him the Lord of hosts. He's the captain of the army. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning. He's the rose of Sharon. Yes, he is. He's the rock. He's the advocate. He's the almighty. He's the blessed potentate. He's the blessed and holy God. He is the, he is the Christ, the son of the living God.
And there's nobody like him in all the earth. He's a zealous God. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is Jehovah Sid Canoe. He is Jehovah Shalom. And there's no God like your God. You got to get in touch with him. And when you do, you'll understand who you are. Yes. My perception, my self-perception can be changed. No. just on your handout, this is what I'm doing. I'm planting a seed. I'm planting a seed. I'm praying, let the seed fall on good soil that the people would rise up. Did you not know that the Lord was protecting you the whole time? Did you not know that when you went through a trial, he was just preparing you so that you can live in joy? He might've taken something from you or stripped you of something just so you would not go through the pain of the suffering. Yes. I lost my job, Pastor. Did you? Is the Lord still good? Is he still good or do you think he's mean to you? Uh Watch this. Allowances, excuses, and cover-ups lead to issues with honesty, integrity, and purity. So we're not going to give allowances or excuses or cover-ups because we got to keep our heart pure. And we got to speak with honesty. I'm developing a self-perception. I'm developing that. (laughs) Amen. And finally, just because I know we have to fill in all the blanks or we, we feel like we've been cheated. We didn't even take up an offering, really, so it was free. Encouragement is not compliance. Let's just pause. Encouragement is not compliance. You didn't encourage anyone. When you went along with their destructive state, you're not really encouraging them when you gave the thumbs up to their riotous ways or their sinful practices. Or their immoral behavior. That wasn't encouragement. No. You are hurting them. (laughs) You're hurting them. That's called an enabler. I, I didn't, I didn't buy the alcohol. No, you just provided the refrigerator. I didn't buy the wine. No, but you bought, you bought the wine cooler. (laughs) So be careful, ladies and gentlemen. Because we want to have, We want to propagate a perception of godliness and righteous living. Mm -hmm. It is really encouragement comes from direction with grace. Mm -hmm. That means that you give direction, but you give grace. That's also in consideration of patience. Amen. You ever, you ever taught someone how to drive a car? I taught my sister how to drive a car, but I just had a little stick shift. It was a Honda Civic. It was about the size of this pulpit. She got stuck in the middle of the intersection. I started laughing. <laughs> Dana, we're going to get hit. She said, you've got to tell me. And then I, I said, you can't stay here. You can't yell at me. So she learned mm-hmm. if you're going to give direction, you have to be patient. If, when, you, when you teach people how to drive, you, you know, it takes patience. It, ta- it takes patience. You know, people have a, sometimes people, especially kids, they, they got the perception that they're a good driver. This is a false perception. I'm an excellent driver. No, no, you're not. I've driven, uh, you know, when Alexandra started to drive, she would tell me that she's driven back and forth from the store. I'm a very good driver. No, you're not. You don't understand until you're in the storm and it's raining and you've got an 18-wheeler on your right and front and back and, and you do a little hydroplaning. And, no, you're, you're not, you know, it's defensive driving. 
Now she she can be very defensive, but it's it's not not the same. Didn't didn't translate. Don't tell her I talked about it because it costs me money every time I say her name from the pulpit. I'm already in the hole about eighty bucks right now. If you're going to give direction, you have to help direction perception. It's going to take grace. Real encouragement is correction with love. Because correction without love is, is a painful situation. The Bible says, but speaking the truth in love that they may grow thereby. No one grows without speaking the truth in love. But truth without love or correction without love is it's damaging. And finally, encouragement comes with rebuke, but also with long-suffering. Amen. I'm not going to smash anybody. But if, I, if my perception is that I'm... That I'm Sometimes, oh my, I, I can't go through this. I, I, all I can tell you is, is this. When I have the right connection with God, then I'm able to encourage other people. And I'm able to bring up other people. Because I'm confident in my walk with God. And I have the right perception. But in arrogance, people fail in arrogance. And they also fail in pride. And pride can also be self-demeaning. Pride is not always people who are puffed up and, and apparently puffed up. But pride could also be that thing. Shyness is actually often mistaken. It's really pride. Well, I'm not that good. No, that's just pride in you. Get rid of that pride. And get the right perception. You are meant for a purpose in Jesus Christ. And all the people said amen. Amen. I feel like we're going to have a good day on Sunday. So let's just stand right now and let's lift our hands unto the Lord and thank the Lord because he's a good God. And we're just going to do it right now. We give you praise and glory, Lord, because we are your child. We are the children. We are the sheep of your field. We, we call you Abba Father. You didn't give us a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you gave us a spirit of adoption. And we have authority, Lord. In the Holy Ghost, we have authority in your precious spirit. And we give you praise and glory. Come on, out of your mouth, just say, this is helping you with your own heart. Remove from me, Lord, all fear and doubt and inhibitions, Lord, right now. I pray right now, I rebuke every every word that the enemy has put in my mind. Everything that people have spoken to me that ruins my perception about who I am and who you are, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. In Jesus' holy name. And all the people said, amen. Amen.